So, yeah, like she said, my name is John, married to an incredible woman, Shauna, and we have little, well, she's three right now, and next month she'll be four, little girl named Summer Kate, she's growing up, she's awesome. Um, If you follow my wife on Instagram, my wife posts a picture every once in a while, every 2.5 seconds of my daughter. Um, So, they couldn't come with me. Uh, Pastor Mindy actually said Shauna's going to come back sometime next year to hang out with the college girls, so make sure you're there for that, but I'm excited. If you don't know today, if you're maybe first-time guest or don't come often. So today, like, the, the purpose of them asking me to, to come here from Florida was because it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And um, it, it is something that is important. Um, it is, I believe, the better we understand the importance of the role of a pastor and that it's not just somebody who preaches the word and then, you know, tithe an offering helps them live, like it's so, so, so much bigger than that. And if you'll understand it, it'll actually set you up for blessing in your life. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'll title this message today, You're Covered. Everybody look at somebody and say, you're covered. You're covered. And it'll make more sense as we go along, but I titled this message this way because um, when it comes to pastors, when it comes to leaders, they have a responsibility to cover. Um, I don't know if you ever made some shady um moves in your life for some poor decisions and you had a friend cover for you, right? Um, and they probably shouldn't have covered for you. You probably should have got caught and had to deal with the consequences so you stopped acting dumb. But we've all had that before. Well, when it comes to pastors, it's a different kind of covering. It's not covering dumb mistakes so that you don't learn, but it's covering so that you don't begin to take on an identity that's not actually who God created you to be. Their job is to cover and point you to the one who made you so that you can find out your purpose, your destiny, your divine design, if you will. That's the purpose of pastors. And so I wanna talk and set us up of like in the Bible, all right? Um, And look, um, I know y'all are like this, but if something's really good, you can say, wow, that's good. Yes, white boy, go ahead, whatever, okay? and, but, but I want to, in Scripture, show you what covering is. Because I think in, in today's day and age, in our society today, what I've learned is there's a lot of people who love church. But I think when it comes to the things of God, we're not all too concerned. What I mean by that is the other day I had a young man in my office, and he's, Pastor John, I said, man, I don't know, I'm not feeling it like I was. Like when I was at church, like when I first started coming, it was great, and I love music, and your sermons were kind of okay, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, let's talk. So I pulled out my whiteboard, and I said, so what were some of the things when you first started coming to our church that just was like, man, this was it? He was like, the, the authentic community, which I, I believe you guys have that here. Would you agree that, with that? I believe big church just has some authentic, real people, right? So, okay, cool, authentic community. What else? He's like, man, well, I love the worship. I love the passion in the worship. I was like, great, passion. So I wrote it down, and I wrote a list of about six things, and I sat down on the little... Um, couch that's like all peeled apart because we ain't got no money at our church and uh (laughs) sit down and like leave stuff all over the back of your pants and I sit down and I pointed at the whiteboard which also has a dent in it because we ordered one whiteboard and we have three whiteboards because Amazon kept sending us whiteboards that had dents in them and so we got more whiteboards (laughs) and uh, it was kind of cool we did not do that for more whiteboards it just happened okay so I pointed at the list and I said what do you see that's wrong with this list and what you don't know is that nowhere on the list was Jesus. Nowhere on the list was the Father. He had fallen in love with church. It's, I, I think it's amazing that you have a great church, and, but your, your life cannot be built on falling in love with the church. 
that's the bride of Christ. If you came up to me and said, Pastor John, your wife Shauna, she's pretty incredible. She's awesome. I'd love to hang out with her. You? I'll deal with you. I'm, I'm not going to feel too comfortable at the coffee date. Why? Because you show love to something I'm connected to, but not to me. See, the church is the bride of Christ, and we should love it. But have you fallen in love with the Father? Like, have you fallen in love with Jesus? Have you had an encounter with God that it doesn't matter how many poor decisions someone in church makes? And look, I've had youth pastors who've made poor decisions and taken advantage of people. I worked for a man who really gave me opportunity to be where I am today, who made some terrible decisions and hurt some people that I poured my life into. But you know why I'm standing up here? Because I didn't fall more in love with the church than I did with Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. I've had an encounter with God. But because I love him, I also love his bride. Because on the same hand, if you came up to me and said, Pastor John, you're amazing. I can't stand your wife, bro. I'm going to punch you in the mouth. And you'll probably swing back and I'll probably lose the fight. Because, But I don't want to hang out with you. You ever met him? Oh, I love God. I just, you don't have to go, you don't have to, go to church to be a Christian. You have to love his bride, though have to love his bride. So what does it mean to be covered in scripture? Let's look at a couple scriptures together. Psalms 91. Let me pray real quick because we need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I love praying those prayers before I preach. Everybody's like, right. we, just need him to, we just need him to speak. Psalms 91 verse 4. Talking about God, David says, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Covering, first and foremost, does not come from people. It comes from God. God is a protector. He is the one through which covering gets into our lives. Psalms 32, 7, David says, speaking to the God again, the Father, he says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. The word protect, the word guard, the word hide throughout Psalms, it, it cover, it's all interchangeable. It's the same in Hebrew. It, it's the same thing. You're, you're being covered. You're being protected. Um, you're being guarded. But notice this last one. He says, he shelt, uh, sorry, you're surrounded. So you protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. And I, and I read this, and if you go just throughout this, this chapter before and after, I thought it was interesting that he says, God, you're my hiding place, and you protect me from trouble. But actually, in the Hebrew, it's not pointing to the fact that God is shouting. He says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. What does that mean? It, military, they would go into battle, and a lot of times they would shout on the front end before they even got into battle. You've seen the football team, right? Like they're just jacked, excited. They're celebrating as they're going through the banner, whatever it is, as if they've already won. That's our responsibility as the people of God. The victory's won. The war is over. We're just still having to fight battles because God's outside of space and time. So he's already gone and finished it, but we're still having to be in it. That's how you can live and say, I'm more than a conqueror, even when you feel like things are overcoming you. But... When he says, God, you protect me and you surround me with shouts of deliverance, my question was, well, who, where's the shouts coming from? That's why he puts pastors, leaders, mentors in your life. Y'all don't know a thing about Billy Stevens. 
But I'm on this stage right now because of a youth pastor named Billy Stevens who gave shouts of deliverance over me when I was struggling with pornography, who would have conversations with me and talk me through things and call me out and love on me and push me forward. There were shouts of deliverance that God put people in my life, people I submitted to, people I honored, and he put them in my life so that I could experience victory. So covering comes from God, but then God begins to put people in your corner that are praying and praising on your behalf. Here's what I love about this couple that I know for a fact that there are, when, when, when y'all first walked up in this place, before big church even began, you guys were praying and praising for the people that are in this room. That's what pastors do. So I want to be very clear today. I'm not trying to get here and put them at this like, oh, look, no, we worship Jesus. But Jesus says when I build my church, he places shepherds that will say a yes and we'll step into carrying a weight that honestly many of us will know nothing about. See, I'm not a lead pastor. I'm a youth and young adult pastor. It's all I've ever been. I've got an incredible pastor. His name's Jason Masters, and he'll let me preach often on his platform. And I remember one day, um, you know, I, I have a unique preaching style, and uh, some people are like, oh man, Pastor John, I love when you preach. And uh, almost as if they're saying like, I like it better than when your pastor preaches. And I was like, I'll slap you, right? Why? Because I get to get on a stage and I know nothing about holding the weight of the tithe and the finances of making sure that lights can stay on and, and AC and heating so that people can come in here and have an encounter with God. I don't know anything about that. I've never held that weight. So I get the opportunity to stand on a platform for a man who holds a weight that I, in this season, know nothing about. But because I love him, I honor him and he's carrying something because he said yes. He said yes. And so I just want you guys to know today, this couple said yes to something. And according to scripture, this is how God works by putting people like this who will be shouts of deliverance in your life. But does that mean that you and I are not responsible for our faith? It does not mean that. Because you can honestly be a type of person in a church that, again, when you first start, let's be honest, we a mess, y'all. Like we're all jacked up. And that's, they said yes, that is their responsibility to make sure that their heart is right, that they've got people that they're talking to, which I know that both of them do, so that they can be there for you in the midst of the, the craziness. But there is a responsibility for us to grow in our faith, to be developed. Can I tell you something about development? Development and growth are not the same thing. Growth is you getting in a context you've never been in church and you're learning things about God and, and you're literally beginning to grow your knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul told us. Development's different. And please hear me when I say this. Development is developing what already exists on the inside of you. So if you ever get pastors in your life, I feel like they're pointing out all these things. That's because they don't want to develop what's already in you. They want some things to get out of you and they need, because again, we're building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So can I tell you something about the church? There's not an outside pressure that can break this thing down. But it could be an inside job. There's not an outside pressure that can stop this thing. China, it's illegal to be a Christian and it is growing faster than any other place on earth. How do you explain that? Easy. Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Make it illegal. The Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, was tying Christians to the back of horses and riding them across rocky plains. He was locking doors of buildings and burning churches down with Christians inside, and Christianity grew. But you go read Paul's letters. His letters was talking to people inside the church. 
They don't want, if you ever feel, hey, we need to talk. Hey, can we sit down? The fact that they want to do that is good. Can I speak to some of y'all who serve real quick? I'm not even, I don't even know why I'm going here, but I am. Is it okay? No? Okay, don't care. I got the microphone. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> I have a lot of people in our church, and, and, and I can sometimes like go to one of my team members and be like, hey, so when we do that, like we're not going to do that, what you just did. Like We're never doing that again. And sometimes they get like really offended, right? But here's what you need to understand for pastors. When a pastor comes up to you and says, hey, love you, but next time, let's not do that. Don't you get offended? They just prophetically spoke that you're there next time. They just said next time, when you're doing this, when you're serving, that means they believe in you. But why would they even come up to you and say like, hey, next time, let's not do this. Or hey, let's begin to change this or let's shift this. Why? Because we just want to reach more people. We want to reach more people. So please don't ever think that this is just about you getting in the building and saying, well, I just feel like pastor didn't really feed me today. No, no, no. Pastor's job is to cover you and be like, hey, I got you while you're growing. I got you while you're developing. Have you figured out how to guard your heart yet? Because I need you to actually come along and you're going to now help reach people who are, in, who are in your spot when you first showed up. Check the scripture out in Proverbs. Uh, sorry, no, not Proverbs. Yes, Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So, as I said, is it their responsibility to grow your faith apart from you? No. Because the scripture says, you guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So, ladies, some of y'all are like asking your friends advice about this guy. She's on her third boyfriend in three months, babe. Like, no. Like, that's not guarding your heart. You better above all else. What do I mean by that? Look, I know that there are things when it comes to God's word that some people are like, oh, but what, do we really believe that? Yes, we believe that. We've got some conviction about us because we guard our hearts because it determines the course of my life. Whatever I let in, it's going to come out. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or to this generation, from the abundance of the mouth or the abundance of the heart, the thumbs tweet, like whatever, like whatever you let in. It's going to come out. Guard your heart above all else. And yes, get pastors in your life. Before you say yes, when he said, hey, do you want to make this official and date? Let me go talk with my pastors. Actually, boy, I think you need to, as the Bible would say, gird up your loins. And you're going to go sit with my pastors with me. And we're going to have a conversation. And he's like, no, I ain't about that. Then you ain't about this, right? Like, it's just not happening. I'm guarding my heart above all else. Why are you being like that? Because I care about the course of my life. It determines where I end up. I've got to guard my heart. And you know how we do that? We do that with first us taking responsibility of our faith, but then by having the right leaders, wise counsel, Proverbs 20, verse 18, finalize plans with counsel, wage war with sound guidance. I know this isn't popular preaching, but I'd rather you have powerful than popular dude this thing's a war like if you want to do this this thing of following jesus this is not for the faint at heart this is not for the weak this is for people who want to push back darkness this is for people who are willing to make sacrifices to give things up well man i used to go hang out with those people yeah well you might have to start making the sacrifices to not go to that place anymore well wait i thought you said we were supposed to get lost people yeah we are but some of you are trying to hang out on turf that you yet have not developed to the place to be able to hang out there so why don't you invite them to your turf why don't you bring them into your context 
why don't you go? I went to, is it Heine Bros? Is that how you say it? I went to Heine Bros the other day. That was really good coffee. That was awesome. I was like, Jacksonville, where I live in Jacksonville, we got a Starbucks and it's terrible. It's awful. They should just close down. Anyways, find a neutral ground. Get some people to show up. Say, hey, pastors, like I'm, 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 I'm thinking about like this friend. This is what they're dealing with. And finalize your plans with counsel. And don't wage war without sound guidance. That's why you've got to have pastors, healthy pastors and leaders in your life to be a sounding board. See, our pastors say yes to cover us even when we don't act like we need it. Our pastors say yes to covering us even when we think we got it. Because I can't tell you how many times I've looked as a youth pastor over the years, looked at a senior in high school and said, girl, don't you back out of church right now. Boy, look, I don't care, like, it's your senior year playing football. You make the time to get in church. And they think, no, 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 I got college. Yeah, you got college, but there's also two decades later that if you don't get right and your heart isn't in a good place, it's more impactful than the sport that you might possibly play. And then, like, the 0.9% of you getting into, like, a, 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 a professional sport, it's not worth it. Your heart determines the course of your life. How are you? Are you healthy? And don't get to a place where you're like, well, well, I got it. I don't need. No. You can't wage war and win without sound guidance. And that's why God puts pastors. And then check out this last one. And then this is just my intro. I'm going to preach a message in a second. <laughs> First Timothy 5.17. The pastors who lead the church should be, well, should be paid well. I'm not even going to expound on that. I'm going to let you and like all the other people. I know they got like a board meeting and stuff. I'll let them talk about that. People are like, these pastors make too much money. Because they're dealing with their own junk and everybody else's. You get to go home at 6 o'clock, and then they're getting the text at 9 o'clock when you and your husband can't act right, and then they're talking. With, I'm just letting you know this is real. Like, this is what pastoring is. People, someone came up and be like, so what do you do for a job? I get text messages from your crazy teenager at 3 a.m. because they're buck wild and you don't even know where they are. That's what I do as a job. What do you mean, what do I do? I'm at the hospital because she took a bunch of pills that she got out of your cabinet. That's what I do. Like, there, dude, this is, I'm all in. This is life. Why? Because he called me to it. And my answer was yes. So, again, I want to be very clear today that these people gave a yes and if you are growing in the Lord and you understand how important and significant they are, please help hold them up. Do it. Honor them. Appreciate them. Don't take one day like, oh, this is the day we're going to do this. No, all the time. Why? Because as healthy as they are is as healthy as the church is going to be. Because the Bible says that anointing oil was poured on Aaron's head and it flowed from the top down. You want God to continue to do great things here? He's going to do it through great leadership. It's how it works. It's how God operates. But it, the scripture ends this way. They should receive double honor for faithfully preaching and teaching the revelation of the word of God. And so, man, and this is weird for me because, like, and I'm glad that I'm here. I would never go to my church and preach this. It would be super weird, right? Like, all of you do this. No. Why? Because I actually feel everything that I'm saying to you to do to them is actually what I do to the people I serve. Like, I just honor the mess out of my people. Like, just, I, I will literally leave a Wednesday night service, 
and I will drive from our location, which a lot of times is wherever the heck we meet that week, to my house, and it's just calling my entire team. A girl named Savannah Coleman that might not ever be on platform holding a microphone, but she can clean some bathrooms, y'all. And that girl, no joke, after a bunch of teenagers have been like buck wild, she goes in the bathroom and cleans them. Just calling her and saying, hey, man, I just honor you, and I'm so grateful for you. Because actually last week, a teenage girl came to our service for the first time and was so nervous that she sat in the bathroom the entire service. Grateful that you took the time to make sure it was squeaky clean. You would think, like, oh, it don't matter. Well, actually, we make sure we run the sound system loud enough. She could hear everything I was preaching. She was just sitting on a different throne, right? (laughs) But it matters. It matters. It matters that I know that they honor you guys. I've spent all day yesterday just hearing them talk about you guys. And I met some of you earlier. And like, look, they love you. They are grateful for you. So, man, take always the mindset. That man, if I honor them, the better they are, the better we are. So I'm going to do something really quick before I actually preach my sermon. Um, for real, that was legit just an intro. I'm sorry. I want to honor you guys really quick. Just some things like the Lord like, gave me. Is that cool? If I cry, if we cry, we all cry. It's fine. So I was praying, and um, I've never done this before, so it's new. So I even called some other friends who've done this kind of stuff and asked for some guidance and um, one of my friends, his name's Daniel Madry, he's a really, really good friend of mine, super wise. And he was like, John, I feel like you just need to make sure that they know the Lord is so proud of them. And so, God, I'm going to get through it without crying. I wrote a couple things down. I'm just going to read it because it's better that way. The Lord is proud of you. On behalf of this church, I'll just say, and I believe that the people would say the same thing, thank you for saying yes to building this. Like, thank you for saying yes. Because... There are other people in this city that God has spoken to and asked them to say yes, and they didn't. And your yes was attached to a lot of other people's yeses to Jesus. So thank you for saying yes. Thank you for making sacrifices on behalf of those that Jesus laid his life down for. Because there's some people who would never have known, would never have had a space to come in and know that Jesus really did what he said he did if it wasn't for you saying yes. And as I talked about the bride of Christ earlier, thank you for showing people that the bride is not ugly, but beautiful. That it's something that the world really should lean in. I I think about it like, like a wedding ceremony. As if the groom is up front and the bride is coming down the aisle and the crowd would be the world and the crowd stands up. And I think for far too long, the crowd, the world has looked at the church And the church came through the double doors looking like it had just been through a fight. And people were like, what is this? And I think for a long time, Jesus has even looked at his church and he's mourned. And he's been broken over its condition. And I believe that when Jesus looks at this church, the tears that are coming down his eyes are the tears of a groom who's like, I can't believe that's my bride. And I think that the world is looking and going, oh my gosh, like this is real. This isn't isn't a show. Like there is a love that I know nothing about and somehow, some way, the world to find themselves in between that love between the father and the bride. And you guys have done that. And I just, the Lord is proud of you. And I think we forget sometimes that he's a father. He's a really, really good father. And I'll say this, the Lord, uh, in scripture you'll see that there's gatekeepers and the Lord says that you guys are gatekeepers of this city. You're gatekeepers. 
I don't care however big this church gets. I don't care if it's got 1,000 people for the next 20 years or 10,000 people. See, a gatekeeper is one person, and there was a group of them, and they guarded the gates. You didn't need 10,000 gatekeepers. You actually needed a small number of gatekeepers, but they are the ones who held the ability to determine what would and what would not come inside the city, what would and what would not go out of the city. And I believe that, and I tell Shauna this, and I really think you guys should note this. This couple, in their age, you guys are seasoned. That's what I say, you're seasoned. I don't know a couple this age that builds young adults, the next generation, like they do. Like, I literally have never met them. I haven't seen them. I know some that one day will be some guys who are closer to my age that are leading great moves of God all over um, the, the, the nation, but you guys build the next generation. I feel like the Lord says you're gatekeepers for the next generation. You are. And so, man, don't take that responsibility lightly and know that there will be people who will come in and go out who will do far more than you guys have even dreamed. And that's because you're a gatekeeper. They had to come in here and they had to go out of here because of, I believe, what God's asked you guys to do. You guys thank them again. All right, I'm gonna to try to preach this really fast, okay? Because like I told you, this was a difficult task. I wanna honor them. I wanna help you understand the importance of them, but I want you to deal with your junk. You know what I mean? Like you got stuff. You got things going on. So I wanted to make sure that like you felt the Lord was challenging you too. Is that cool? I worked really hard on this. Mephibosheth said it right. Golly. So there's a guy in the Bible named Mephibosheth. Y'all have been practicing all week. Mephibosheth. One of, my, one of my drummers sat down and he heard me like going over it and he was like, Mephibosheth? I'm like, no, 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 no. He was, I was like, dude, you're making it sound like your Russian grandma who stubbed her toe. She's like, Mephibosheth, right? Um, there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Mephibosheth. And so I want to preach for the next few moments about Mephibosheth. Is that okay? Um, and before I do, I want to set us up with a couple things. And here's one thing that pastors carry that maybe you don't realize that they carry the weight of. Um, every single person in this room is or has or one day will again experience shame and guilt. Like those are real things, right? Just because you can't tangibly see them, you can't take a hold of them, you can feel them. You can experience shame. You can experience guilt. And one thing that people forget about pastors is they have shame and guilt, right? That they're battling through and walking in freedom from because there's not a pastor who's perfect, right? So if God sends you to another place and you meet some pastors that are like, hey, we got it. I remember being in a church one time hearing a pastor go, I don't struggle with sin. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, this is awful. They're, they're not perfect. They don't claim to be. But something that people forget about pastors is that they'll also help you carry your shame and your guilt. And that's, that's a weight. Because just mine alone is enough to keep me up at night. Just mine alone is enough to make me sometimes doubt that I should even be up here. And so here's real quick the difference between shame and guilt. See, these things normally run together. They, they're, they're a really strong couple. They're a good pair um, for the kingdom of darkness, if you will. Guilt is about what you do. Shame is about who you are. What I mean by that is guilt is you're guilty of this crime, right? You, or if it wasn't you, it was someone else. Something was done that shouldn't have been done and someone is guilty. Why? Because of what was done. Guilt is about what you do. But shame is much different. See, shame connects itself to your identity. See, shame is not just I'm guilty because I did something. 
Shame is I did something and as wrong as it was is actually as wrong as I'm beginning to feel. Like I, I begin to take on the identity of I didn't just make a decision to steal something. I am a thief. I don't just struggle with a substance. I am an addict. See, shame becomes identity. And here's the thing, there is an enemy, if you don't know, and these pastors, they love you, and they're trying to fight the kingdom of darkness because there's an enemy, his name is Satan, and he hates you. He hates me. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? And here's the thing that I've learned about Satan. See, Satan will bring temptation, right? And when you're tempted and you do something you don't want to do, you feel guilty, but Satan's final goal is not temptation. It's accusation. And here's why. Because accusation has to do with identity. And he wants you to wear shame and carry it in such a way that you'll never walk in your purpose. Because if you don't, he wins. Right? If you don't, then whatever layer of darkness God has designed you, please know that I, what I just said, you. Because don't go like, oh, well, yeah, I go to big church, it's cool, but like the pastors can do the ministry. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's pastor's job to equip, saint, equip saints for the work of ministry. Yeah. So it's actually according, this is biblical, y'all. So if you disagree, come talk to me later. I'd love to have a conversation with you. It is not their job biblically to do ministry. It is their job to equip saints for the work of ministry. It's exactly what the Bible says. I can take you to the scripture. They are to equip saints for the work of ministry. And God has not made another person like you. Do you know that? You're unique. There is no one else like you. So when the enemy accuses you and jacks up your identity, the unique you that you're supposed to be in him to push back darkness never happens. Because there's something, there's someone that God has designed you to reach, designed you to love, designed you to encourage, the way your personality works, the, the gift sets that you have, that God says, I want you to know your true identity. But shame has messed up your, uh, your picture of who you are, that you're not able to fulfill the purpose that I have for you. And so Mephibosheth is a perfect picture of how shame becomes an identity. I'm gonna read you 13 verses. If your friend goes to fall asleep, chop him in the throat. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter nine, starting in verse one. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Pause, Saul was king before David. Saul wasn't happy about David being king. And so Saul wanted to kill David. You guys just came out of a long series about David, so you know quite a bit, right? Good. David says, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Because Saul, and then he also had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan was one of David's best friends. Saul and Jonathan at this time are dead. So David says, is anyone still alive? Anyone that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Because Jonathan was such a good friend of David. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. This could be a different message. We don't have time, but how you need to understand that some of you are like, you've got enemies and people that you don't like, and they've said things and done things. But dude, this king tried to kill David, and David is sitting on the throne going, I want to show kindness to someone in his family. Is anyone still breathing that I can just show God's kindness to? I want this kind of heart against my enemies. The king asked him, is anyone still alive? If so, I want to show God's kindness. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. 
Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, the son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. And his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed down to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness uh, to you because of, the, of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? The only reason Mephibosheth talked about himself that way is because shame had become his identity. So you have to understand in this culture, in this context, him being crippled in both feet, he couldn't work. No one wanted to be married to him. So his condition that was completely, um, he couldn't really hide it. If he did, he could only hide it where he was. And if he tried to go somewhere else, it would be revealed. He was ashamed. He was ashamed. His shame, this is the Lord because I don't have this. His shame actually prohibited him from moving in any direction. And that's, what, that's why Mephibosheth responded, why would you talk to a dead dog like me? The king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. Hey, oh, cripple man getting some people to work for him. Land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Zeba replied, yes, my lord and the king. I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Zeba's household uh, were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Taylor, you come up here real quick. So again, I told you guys, like you have a church where there's like, you guys make major impact, okay? So, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? So I asked her to come up here. She came up talking to me earlier, and she was like, sitting there, she's like, okay, so what are you gonna say about me? I just need you guys to understand, because I'm not here, I watch and I'm seeing what happens and I remember your story. So I remember watching on social media your story and how God had moved and worked in your life and there were some things that you were ashamed of. Yeah. And as I was preparing this message, like God literally just put your face in my mind and I was like, I, I gotta get that girl to come up here. And here's why. Because Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet and that was his shame. He, he carried it around wherever he went. And even when he showed up to the king's table, he was like, which many people, and maybe you did, and I know people have felt when you walk into church, like it's awkward that first time. It's like, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be here, right? Can I? And then you get into church, you see people lifting their hands, and you're like, well, I'm just worthless. Like Mephibosheth's mindset of, as a dead dog, who am I to lift my hands? Like, am I good enough? And David is like, no, I'm inviting you to the table. So will you take a seat really quick? Wow, I almost <laughs> fell over. So I had them bring this table out because... Um, as I was, I'm going to get my notes. I might need them. Who knows? We'll see. Sometimes it just kind of goes a different direction and you guys bear with me, right? Man, you guys are great at talking back. Can't wait for the next service. So one of the things about, about, uh, David bringing Mephibosheth to the table is the city. Anybody remember the name of the city? I had you repeat. Lodabar. It's Okay. So the city Lodabar 
It's interesting. When you look it up in Hebrew, Lodabar means not a pasture. Not pastor, but pasture, right? Like where cows would be. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I did some further research. And the reason it was called not a pasture is because it was actually a poor place. Because pasture meant livestock. Livestock meant there's currency, there's finances. So in other words, Lodabar means no freedom. Mephibosheth got called out of a place called no freedom, not a pasture. Nothing can happen there. Nothing can grow. Nothing can sustain. He got called out of that, and he got asked to come to the king's table. Now, you stay seated. But here's the thing about the king's table. Now, I don't know if he would have sat next to Mephibosheth or sat across, but for the sake of being here and you all being here, I didn't want to have my back turned to you. But I imagine there being something at the table. And Mephibosheth, remember, his issue so at the table, when I'm looking at Taylor, I don't see the shame. I just see her for who she is. And Mephibosheth was told, hey, you can come to the table regularly as often as you want. Now, the king will be at the table, but you have a responsibility to get to the table. So then I started thinking a little further. Pastor Rich, Pastor Mindy, will y'all come up here? So I started thinking about this and I was like, I know the Lord's just going to like help me get this together to help the people see the importance of their pastors, but also that for many of you, you can, you can have a seat, have a seat at the table. For many of you, it's so important to realize that the king, I'm going to sit as the king, all right? This table doesn't exist if Jesus doesn't exist. It's the king's table. Mephibosheth is invited to the king's table as often as he wants. But we get in, this is, this is an Old Testament scripture that actually is a picture of Jesus, all right? King David in this scripture is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Mephibosheth is you and I. Here's what's crazy, are you ready? Mephibosheth in Hebrew, it means the dispeller of shame. Now, Mephibosheth didn't know that. Obviously, I'm a dead dog. Like he just carried his shame and wore it. And I hope this helps somebody. You guys stay right here. This couple got invited to the table by people in their lives that, that loved on them and pointed them to Jesus. And, and they showed up and realized, man, Jesus doesn't see me for my shame because I'm covered. Remember how we started the message? I'm covered at the table. There's a covering by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus. And they get to the table and they, they realize that like, man, he sees me for me, not the mistakes I've made, not even the identity that I've given myself or that the world's given me. I'm covered at the table. But what happens for pastors is we realize how good the table is. Like, man, I just want more people at the table. And what happens is one day someone like Taylor gets invited to the table, maybe a little reluctant. Maybe well, I'm not sure what this is going to be all about. And you know, Taylor, what you didn't know at the table when you came to big church was that they knew because they had been there, they knew that Mephibosheth meant, no, 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 not shame. Taylor, do you know what your identity is? Do you know your name? Because what Jesus did, you're going to be the dispeller of shame. You're the one that's going to remove shame. You got invited to the table. And this is why your pastors have said yes and done what they've done, because they want people at the table. 
Because at the table, you find out who you are. At the table, you find out whose you are. At the table, you find out who you're really supposed to be. And you realize that you're seen for you. Because your shame's covered. Your shame's covered. Are you guys stand to your feet? You guys can have a seat. I don't know what shame you're carrying. I don't know what stuff you're still dealing with. What I want you to know is you have a seat at the table and you have pastors who lead people who work really hard to make sure that there's a seat at the table. I always want to make sure I, I, I'm correct when it comes to the word. And so I even want to, don't want you to think like, oh, he just took some story and made something up to get like emotional. No, this is all Jesus. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. It's the end of the book, y'all. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is waiting for you to come to the table. And these pastors work so hard and do so much to make sure that you know there's a seat at the table, that your shame won't hold you any longer, that you are not what you did. You made a mistake, but that's not your identity. You are not a mistake. You are loved by God. You are called. You are anointed. You are gifted. And you have people who have prepared a place to make sure that you can walk in all that God has for you. So can I just ask a question? Will you guys bow your heads, close your eyes for a second? Because, uh, And I'm not doing this to like let you make a decision with no one looking because I'm actually doing this so that you can take a step. If you're in here today... And you're like, man, I've got some shame, some stuff that I've been wearing, and I don't feel like I can shake it. And you're ready to just have a moment at the table and be covered. Will you lift your hand right now if you're in here and that's you? Yeah, come on. Hands are being lifted. If your hand's lifted, I'm going to pray right now. When I say amen, I want you to come up to this altar. These pastors are going to walk around, the ones who said yes to covering you, and they're going to lay hands on you. So if you're struggling, maybe you're going back into some things that you said you wouldn't go back into anymore. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, I've never actually done this thing with Jesus because I've always had a bad picture of the church. Can I give you a good picture of the church? This is what it looks like. Jesus, Jesus doing everything that needed to be done so you could have a seat at the table and a church with some incredible leaders and pastors who work tirelessly to cover and protect so that you can get to the table and find out your true name. Find out that shame must be dispelled out of your lives. So Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus right now and God, I declare that shame begins to fall off, that guilt will no longer hold people down, that people who are stuck in the cycle of doing the same thing, they're finding freedom today because of a house because of a church with leaders and staff who work and pray and believe the best is yet to come and so God I thank you this morning that some people are just coming back to the table God you told Mephibosheth was told he could come to the table as often as he wanted God I know there's someone in here a long time ago they came to the table a while ago they were faithfully serving Jesus but God I pray today today's the day you remind them your seat's still open I still have a place at the table for you and so God right now shame fall off shame dispelled we are yours and we are covered by the blood of Jesus and we pray it in his name and everybody said we hope you enjoyed this message on the my big church podcast 
We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Faganbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church Podcast.